This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! I mean, the ideal is that I, as an old man, am sitting on a park bench feeding ducks in my later, later years when a woman literally in a lab coat walks past and goes, oh my God, I'm a scientist because I read your books when I was a kid. The, uh, this obviously is a ridiculous leap of why am I feeding ducks? Uh, why is this woman still wearing a lab coat while walking to the park? Like whatever, there's so many things wrong with this fantasy. But the general gist is hopefully you sow a seed. You're listening to a science-focused podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Alexander McNamara, online editor at BBC Focus magazine. Comedian and TV presenter Dara O'Brien became hooked on maths after studying black holes in the shape of space as a teenager. He went to university to pursue maths and mathematical physics before veering way off course into comedy and science communication, hosting shows like Mock the Week and Stargazing Live. He's drawn on skills from all of those areas to create his second science book for kids, called Secret Science, The Amazing World Beyond Your Eyes. In it, he details the tiny and invisible things that are very, very important to everyday life. We talked to Dara about the joys and challenges of communicating science to kids, and what to do if you find science boring. He shares his favourite nerdy science joke with us, as well as why he's fascinated by the sleeping habits of giraffes, and the details of the disappearance of the brontosaurus. Here's BBC Focus editorial assistant Helen Glenny, talking to Dara O'Brien. 
You studied maths and physics at university. Uh, maths and mathematical physics mm-hmm. um, in UCD uh, in Dublin. Like the uh, uh, it's a specific. It was a specific kind of f- sort of fast track for those who just want who really wanted to get uh, down to the mathematical stuff without any of the um, kind of dusty uh, t- uh, practical um, <laughs> kind of soldering yourself to the table kind of thing. So, yeah. so we we strip, so it, it narrowed really really quickly into doing um, just very very yeah, mathematical content immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you remember as a child how you first got into science? How you decided? Uh, I remember the the point where I, where I knew it was very at that point when you were about fourteen when you really when you really read. So I don't remember specifically being into it before that any more than just that usual curiosity we all have, uh, hopefully. Um, but I remember, and I remember, and I've had conversations with this with with, uh, with various scientists I know and science writers I know that there's a point about fourteen where you it sort of grabs you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in a big way, so the uh, so for me it was um, a, like a teacher who went off piste in um, in science lectures and started because there was a a point where we it was before we had to get to any syllabus for exams, so we kind of kept it very open and very kind of uh, this 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 amazing thing or that amazing thing, uh, and he was doing the shape of the universe and black holes and all that kind of stuff like whatever and I got very and, and that grabbed me mm-hmm. I remember in a huge way. So the uh, and also then reading. Um, in search of Schrodinger's Cash by John Gribben uh, and various other popular science books around the time. So, the, uh, so yeah, it was about 14. And did you ever, after doing those studies, did you ever consider entering academia? No, uh, it wasn't really the... Um, uh, I toyed with the notion, I think I had myself down f- uh, for a couple of different master's programmes then, but then ran a newspaper instead in the college mm-hmm. uh, and then put it down for a different master's programme then for journalism and then ended up getting loads of work so I didn't even do that. <laughs> uh, so uh, so no, and I've, I, I have a kind of an ongoing respect for those who went ahead and did the kind of more um, well nothing is uh, more uh, less thankless than comedy is because we get thanked every 30 seconds uh, <laughs> every day right so the uh, so th- those have actually done the more difficult thing that requires actually years of work and then um, producing something to uh, <laughs> yeah without getting a thousand people in the room cheering uh, applauding you uh, I, I admire that yeah I think it's, it's it's a character flaw of mine that drove me to the to show is rather than to do that like that so no but I never I never seriously um, it was never seriously an option because I just got drawn away into other things um, so you've ended up with these parallel careers as a, a science communicator and as a comedian yeah. and how did how did that come about well it's there's a, there's kind of a way it works if you, if you get any kind of note uh, in television they will sit down and go what other things do you like because um it's useful to sort of cross-pollinate uh, the schedules to, to have somebody go well actually i'm also really into this and so they they know they can draw take an audience from one place and they'll bring it across to another um it was specifically there so we we're having conversations about doing something like that like the uh, uh and but then somebody came up with the idea for stargazing live and they felt particularly because brian had just started doing stuff that it'd be useful for brian to have a broadcasting co-host so someone who's there whose job it is to be keeping an eye on the time and mm-hmm. let's move this along and so, so Brian could get passionate and get, get lost in this a bit, but somebody would be there to go. Well, that's great, Brian, but we're going to have to um, move along. So I got I was asked if I wanted to do that, like whatever. And now it helps the fact that I I know a bit about this, and so wasn't being phased by the conversations and stuff like that. And uh, I was able to pitch it, not at the level Brian does, but still able to pitch in mm-hmm. with things. And then. Um, and know when to go, Alison, can we just explain that a little bit better? Mm-hmm. The, uh, but a lot of the job is 
uh, being the responsible one when uh, Brian's getting passionate and, and uh, <laughs> about something to go, yeah, that's all very well, but there's an airplane hovering above Scandinavia uh, <laughs> wanting to give us live footage or something. So can we, we're going to have to cut this off and go. I, I have a routine in the show, actually, a current show about how there's there are people who genuinely think that when I, I interrupt Brian, because I have to go, Brian, I'm going to stop you there, um, that, that they think I do it because I'm jealous. <laughs> They genuinely think that I, when I host uh, Stargazing with Brian, that I sit there angrily thinking, oh, look at the attention he's getting. And I, and coincidentally, around about the four-minute mark, I ha- I go, I can't take this anymore. And I have to stop him and move the entire show somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, and just you get the attention back on yourself. Yeah, just because of me. When, in fact, it's somebody shouting in my ear going, 10 seconds to Scandinavian village or whatever, and I have to do that. But we find that, we both find that very funny. Yeah, yeah. It's been such a common thing. There's so, it's a common Twitter thing of going oh stop interrupting Brian going, <laughs> I'm not interrupting Brian I'm hosting a show that Brian is on and the show and like because also people probably don't realize stargazing in particular is a tremendously um coordinated show there's it's pretty, the, the live one hour it's like you got this then this then this then this then this and there's four different locations and there's the camera crew's here and then Liz is off somewhere on the other side of the, of the, of the planet and Tim Peake is arriving at the <laughs> space or whatever so it's an incredibly produced show mm-hmm. um, more so than I think we make it look which is great but it look it should flow really really quickly the best produced shows they flow really quickly but the uh, but this one is boom 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 and somebody has to be the one <laughs> doing the thankless task <laughs> of going, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, so that's me uh, doing that. The, yeah. Uh, so, uh, um, and we used to have a show which, uh, which uh, called Back to Earth, which is a half hour after it, which we never had time. With the first one was really rehearsed, and the second show was completely unrehearsed, mm-hmm. and that was honestly the most fun I've ever had in my, in my, in my professional life because it was a completely unrehearsed that I basically controlled the whole thing mm-hmm. and then then we had complete scope to let the conversation flow well meanwhile there's a producer going could we get that in could we get that in and, and seeing the moment pass whereas I'm just ignoring them uh, and going no no this show is just for talking now uh, and uh, so there was it was uh, so yeah so, so they, they needed some, basically someone with, with both the interest in the thing and but also the years mm-hmm. of, of live television to to help anchor it mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the first to say that my job in all these things is to when I'm doing the broadcasting is to the person standing next to the expert uh-huh. uh, and I get the information out of the expert I'm not the one to it's, so, so actually doing a kids book is sort of the perfect level in terms of I love explaining it. I love I've, I love bringing the passion across for these things, but I'm unlikely to. I I wouldn't uh, honestly wouldn't deign to write the book that explains this to adults because there are tons of great science writers out there who are also scientists as well, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's 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 the thing that they'll do far better and they'll bring far more to it. Whereas I can go. That's very interesting the way you've explained it, but I think I, I can explain it a bit better. Mm-hmm. And I can make it funny, and I can make them more appealing to a, a to a young audience. So that's a kind of a different skill set. The yeah, uh, but um, it is you do still occasionally people going, oh yeah, yeah, did, did Brian help you? Did he explain to you? And you're going, no, it's actually it's okay. Brian got this out of books, you know. I got also out of books. The stuff is in books. Brian didn't invent this stuff, uh, you know. The the scientists also. We all came through school, and scientists had to be taught the same stuff as well. I just stopped. I just stopped attending these lectures after a while. But you know, all the information is out there there it's not the it's and that's possibly in itself a quietly thing all this information is out there it's not the preserve of any one group of people mm-hmm. either whether it be astronomers or biologists or whatever uh, or scientists on the telly it's no one's preserve that information is all free to go we're just repackaging it in an exciting way to draw you in again mm-hmm. they uh, but none of this is a secret mm-hmm. science 
I think especially among kids and teenagers who are learning at school sometimes has this this bad reputation of being boring yeah, or yeah. nerdy and all that. Do you feel like you kind of need to be a bit defensive of that? Is that part of, you know, the science comedy thing is probably a really good way of... It can be, it can be very, very good. I mean, there's, there's a number of things there. Firstly, there are parts of science that are boring. The, uh, and there's lots of points that involve classification and they involve um, learning how to do things and learning methods. And the part of the education of it is teaching people things that they they don't know why they're doing them and they won't really realise until years and years later. So, yeah, of course that's boring. Like, whatever. Same as spelling. Learning spelling is boring. Same as learning tables is boring. The, uh, yeah, bits of... There's just going to be. Unfortunately... You know, doing star, doing you know laps is boring. Rolling, playing the football match is fun. You know, there's lots of parts mm-hmm. of life, unfortunately, that are boring. They uh, and it's a very and I that's I'm no better than anyone else was in terms of doing the doing the practice. But the uh, but unfortunately, that's just a sadly a part of life. The uh, we do a specific thing within this book where in the first chapter we say because this book the first book I wrote was space 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 space, space mm-hmm. and that's very straightforward. But in this book we have <laughs> a. Um, uh, it's about the invisible, invisible uh, things of everyday, everyday life, and that's uh, it's that's hormones and electrons and bacteria and forces, and so we're covering loads of different stuff, like whatever. And you and we have a thing in the first chapter where I say, listen. Some of this you'll like less than others. Some of this just won't interest you because that's the way it works. Like, I mean, I like, you know, my, for me personally, I don't know what I'm going to say is I love, I love the physics bits and the biology have always kind of left me cold. It's not my thing. Mm-hmm. The uh, flip side of which is I, like, my wife is a doctor. I told her, it's a book about space. And she's going, eh, space. Uh, like, whatever. <laughs> some people like something, some people like other, don't like other things. So we have a thing in the book which basically we say to them, skip it. If you don't, if you don't like this bit, there's another bit just coming along which should be more your thing and so go with that and then at the end I go right so what bits do you skip because if you like these bits then you could become a neuroscientist if you like these bits you might be into engineering if you like these bits you might be a like a botanist or a biologist or a doctor if you like these bits you could be a phys- I mean and they're all different questions and they all want to find out things and they all have things they don't know and so it's a so we kind of make it a thing in that yeah we ex- app- oh totally accept that some of this can be a bit boring, and that's fine. Then grand, life's too short. Go find the thing you love, because we'll all you'll all end up specialising at some stage. So you might as well, when you're doing this, find the ones you love, and then go find out more about that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there is a thing. I mean, I'm I, that, the flip side, of which is uh, I don't accept the, the term nerd as being a an insult I've, I've forgotten when that was last an insult mm-hmm. because it's been co-opted so much anyway by by frankly people who don't deserve it uh, saying I like I like bands so I'm a nerd or I like I like I like uh, uh, Infinity Wars so therefore I'm a nerd no they want the largest grossing movie the, oh, you liked you like Star Wars oh how unique they, yeah, I did four years of maths in university I am a nerd right you aren't a nerd because you liked Luke Skywalker <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't and qualify you as a nerd so I find that term is a badge of honour more than anything else you mentioned this is your second science book for, yes. for children what motivated you to start writing for children was it that specific set of skills that you felt like you had uh, there is a touch of it like the, the one thing that I know I can bring to this is uh, like an enthusiasm and a passion and they, they, these things you know, excite me and I quite uh, I thought this would be an interesting market in which to do that and a group of people to say that too because they are naturally scientists anyway kids ask questions kids ask, our kids are curious mm-hmm. they uh, and it's this this is an age which is because it's we're not about 
the process yet. They're about just the results and the funny things and the facts and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, they'll get into it when you get a bit older, teenage years, then you have to, have to unfortunately, have to start learning that, you know, this is how an experiment is and this is how you do this and this is an equation as well. But right now it's all, you know, draft sleep for five minutes. Wow. Uh, and that kind of stuff. So it's a nice age in which to, it, 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 and, you know, it's, a, it's an easier age to write for in some ways because it is just, look at this fun thing. Um, and that's easier with space and stuff like that. And then hopefully within that context, you can slide in interesting context, concepts that will stick with them, hopefully. Um, but, I mean, the ideal is, the total ideal is that I, as an old man, I'm sitting on a park bench feeding ducks uh, in my later, later years when a woman in a white coat, in a, literally in a lab coat, walks past and goes, oh my God, I'm the scientist because I read your books when I was a kid. The, uh, this is obviously... It's a ridiculous leap of why am I feeding ducks? Uh, why is this woman still wearing a lab coat while walking to the park? Like whatever, there's so many things wrong with this fantasy. But the general gist is hopefully you sow a seed uh, and that people go, oh yeah, that is quite fun. That is amazing that that, that happens, like whatever. And then it sits with them. And so fingers crossed. First one, we didn't know we know we did really well got nominated for an award uh, Book Trust Award and it was great and, it was, and people really enthusiastic about, about it this one is an interesting one because it's it's not about one thing so this one will be yeah mm-hmm. which is how this one goes Nice. And you're a father yourself. Yeah. Are your kids interested in science? Yeah, but in, in that kind of general way, I don't think any of them, I, I, as far as I know, well, one of them, it, dep- it depends. Some of them, they're quite young. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, so difficult to tell, but I think one's more into, uh, the eldest probably more into the arts than into the sciences and constantly apologises to me for that. <laughs> so the uh, so uh, as yet, we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Too young. Yeah. Okay. And how important do you think it is for kids to grow up learning about science? Is that something that you're going to try and keep in your kids' lives? Yeah. As much as oh, possible? absolutely. Well, I think it's important for anyone. I don't think it's it, you know it's it, uh, it's one of our great achievements is is discovering how the universe works, like whatever the uh, and uh, uh, it is. Uh, we've we've two great towers uh, the arts and sciences the stuff we've created and the stuff we've discovered uh, and I think it's this fundamental part and I think we've a tendency to box them off a bit uh, and go well this is well, this is uh, one thing and you read into this or you're into the other like the uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a very um, weird state of affairs where people can't be curious about both so um, no we we you know we do as many visits to uh, uh, the VNA as we do to the science museum the uh, and we're lucky to have them all kind of not far away from us yeah but uh it's uh i think there there is a world of exciting stuff there um and uh i'm not intent to shut off any doors yet Mm -hmm. and what challenges have you found when you've been writing these books uh in terms of writing science stuff for kids uh, well, the, well the, fir- the most fundamental challenge is uh, you got to get stuff right um, and that's uh, a thing you don't really worry about too much when you've got um, when you're writing comedy shows the uh, and uh, also because th- the second book in particular has touched on things that aren't my degree aren't my uh, specialisation in any way uh, so getting that stuff checked and not then doing this the, what is it called the QI thing of repeating old canards uh, and so that often happens that stuff pops up that uh, that you know you're explaining how wings work and you have to kind of go wait no we, it is, it's actually not what we've been told for years about the shape of wings at one stage I uh, um we were talking about uh, there's a hormone uh, that the stomach release called ghrelin which is the one that basically tells them, uh, the, the brain that we don't need any more food um, 
And I was saying this to I came to my wife, who's a doctor, and she said, uh, "What? I've never heard of that. Like whatever." And that is only recently been discovered. Ghrelin is like ten years old as a thing, like whatever. So there's a, it's a bit. It, you you what you don't want to do is you don't want to reinvent the brontosaurus. <laughs> That's what you don't want to do because uh, I remember the bit where I came back, where I, le- I loved the brontosaurus when I was a kid. Didn't think about the brontosaurus again for 15 years. Became a kids' TV presenter and we were doing some item about something, about dinosaurs. And I said, oh, yeah, and the brontosaurus. And the guy went, there's no, there's no brontosaurus. The brontosaurus is what? gone. The brontosaurus is gone. What do you mean, gone? There's no it brontosaurus. It never exist. It never existed. Brontosaurus wow. was, an in, oh, was an incorrect thing. So the brontosaurus, as far as I know, anyway, <laughs> somebody Googled this, right? They, uh, we'll check there before yeah, we Yeah, they've got the right one. But it was def- I think the brontosaurus was the one that, if you see current lists, like, our kids will never learn about the brontosaurus. Because it was, we put the wrong bone with the wrong hip bone or whatever, <laughs> and we we imagine a dinosaur that isn't there. So now some bit of it's an apatosaurus. I don't know what the exact thing, but the, but the brontosaurus went in the, mm-hmm. by by the mid nineties. By the seventies, there was a brontosaurus. By the mid nineties, there was no brontosaurus. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to look that up, so I've got that definitely right. Are you are you googling <laughs> brontosaurus? Yeah, they because uh, make sure I definitely got it right. These brontosaurus. Yeah, because Diplodocus is still around, uh-huh. Transaurus still around, like whatever. Um, you know, um, Stegosaurus, all those. Oh, they still exist, but the brontosaurus was just a thing that we thought was a thing and by the time I came out gone it's like people the people who who don't know what quarks are you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. they're just it it moves on and Mm -hmm. you don't want to be doing your half remembered stuff from Mm -hmm. 20 years ago Mm -hmm. so did you end up coming up with a favourite fact from the book or a favourite part for you to write I am god yeah honestly I've really got when I run through the book because I can't there's 300 pages of it doesn't pop in the head uh, but I'm very fond of the the giraffe just the comparison of the giraffe sleeps for 5 minutes whereas (laughs) the lion sleeps for 18 hours Uh, and that is if ever there's a dividend for being a lion it's the fact you can sleep for 18 (laughs) hours whereas the giraffe grabs sleep for 5 minutes at a time and then how long does it stay awake for? Is this five minutes it's, quite often? I, I, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not sure how. They used to think it didn't sleep at all. Yeah, oh. uh, because they never saw it sleep. Because it's a, things like whatever. Yeah, but I think it, it manages to function like that. Yeah. But it's uh, it's an awful life because you're going to get eaten by a lion. So they so it's constantly, uh, com- um, you know, just keep being aware. Mm. Like, and they may go into they may there are different forms of uh, of sleep, obviously, <laughs> whatever. The um, yeah, no, there's, there's uh, God, there's, there's loads of ones that are Oh, yeah, this one that people... Uh, the air doesn't circulate in a plane. It's not the same air when you fly. Mm-hmm. The air... Um, uh, planes take in air to the engine and then they sweep the air through and out again. So there's a hole at the back of the plane where the air leaks out. Mm-hmm. They, uh, because people are in the presumption that you basically... You fart and you and the fart yeah, it stays in the plane for eighteen hours. No, yeah, yeah. no, it all gets swept. Air comes into the engine and swoops out and goes out again. Oh, okay. But the plane uh, is pressurized. It isn't pressurized to ground pressure because mm-hmm. that would be annoying. You know the way that obviously we, we, we fly high, mm-hmm. um, and so you fly let's say I think it's thirty five thousand feet. Um, the pr- pressure in the plane is six thousand feet because it's midway between. It's sort of midway between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah, uh, and so. When your ears popping over, they're not popping. You're not even at the pressure that the air pressure that is outside. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of it picks a medium point, mm-hmm. so it's not like an enormous amount of pressure on the plane, like whatever. Mm-hmm. So it just eases the pressure a bit. So in even though you're flying at thirty five thousand feet, your ears think you're at ten thousand feet, 
and then there's the ground. So the uh, ah, so it's a, okay. yeah so it's, it's so it's a partial pressurization of some kind. Things I presumed it went to it kept ground pressure yeah. the whole way through. It doesn't. It lifted a little bit, so you're less pressure. You're like about a half an atmosphere of pressure mm-hmm. in the plane, mm-hmm. but significantly less outside the plane. Yeah, okay, so but not enough for it to be noticeable. Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it's noticeable in the sense of your ears pop. Yeah, yeah, it's got, but the ears pop no more than you would by diving ten meters. Uh-huh, okay. but, yeah. So the weight of the weight of the air in your head of all the air in the head is the same weight as ten meters of water. Ah, right. Yeah. So you have to put, yeah, so it's one atmosphere. If you go down 10 metres, uh-huh. that's one ATM, one atmosphere mm-hmm. of pressure. So you've gone in the, in the 10 metres of water pushing down on you is the same as all of the air pushing mm-hmm. down on you. Because the air is bouncing around all mm-hmm. the place. So, yeah, so, uh, I mean, it's not the, the, the tonnage of the, of, of the actual molecule is because it's all pushing off different directions. But, so in other words, in other words do you dive? Uh, I've done it a few times. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have to... Yeah. Pop your head, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you that's you go down ten meters. Uh-huh. It's the same change of pressure okay. as yeah, flying plane. Ah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Nice. Now, um, I definitely can't get away with coming here and interviewing you and not asking you whether you have a favorite science joke. Oh God, they're all terrible though. I do, <laughs> but it, I mean, good but the um, uh, the but it's, I, I have the most. My favorite is the mathematical, the most nerdy one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, which is the what is the and see the the purpose of a great science story. What what did you do? What was your what's your background? Neuroscience. Neuroscience. Okay, yeah. right. Okay, that wonderful science on neuroscience, mm-hmm. but of no use. You will not get this. <laughs> okay. um, and, it but, takes the pressure off. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, the uh, the uh, it. But the the uh, genuinely the greatest science story is what does the B in Benoit B Mandelbrot stand for? <laughs> what does it stand for? It stands for Benoit B Mandelbrot. <laughs> Um, and if you're a mathematician, that is a hilarious <laughs> joke. Genuinely a brilliant joke. Um, do you remember seeing um, Chaos Theories, those fractals? The other things you zoom in on, and every time you zoom in, the same pattern appears, the same uh-huh, pattern yeah. appears, the same yeah. pattern appears. Same. They're called Mandelbrot sets. Oh, okay. And his name is Benoit B. Mandelbrot. Uh, yeah. And if the B sounds for Benoit B. Mandelbrot, that means every time you zoom in, it's Benoit B. Mandelbrot. Gotcha. If you're a mathematician, that is a, that's a cracker joke. That's an amazingly funny joke. Nice, but uh, uh, but it's of it's it, it, properly because I don't all these stupid ones about like oh you know an electron walks into a bar no <laughs> screw that the uh, that that is you want a proper hardcore science joke is that that was comedian Dara O'Brien whose new book Secret Science the Amazing World Beyond Your Eyes is out now. Thanks for listening to the Science Focus podcast. The October issue of BBC Focus magazine is out now. And in it, we discover how we could leave Earth for good and build a new civilization in space. We also speak to a panel of leading female scientists about why there are so few women in science, discover why curry is so good for you, and explore whether machine learning could help shed new light on the problem of male suicide. Find out more at sciencefocus.com. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.